You're listening to the Hotel Moment Podcast. I like the music. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, <laughs> and good evening to wherever you're at in the world, and welcome to Hotel Moment. Uh, today we're joined by Max, who loves our music. And Max, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I mean, 40 years in hospitality, primarily on the technology, distribution, and marketing side. You know, master's degree in hospitality studies, MBA later in life. And I worked for the Ministry of Tourism of my native Bulgaria. I was director of a government tourism. You know, four consecutive hospitality-related startups, including three internet startups since 1995. Travelbreak.com, media uh, technologies, which was the first online booking engine in hospitality, if you will. Next Guest, which is now merged with Sendine, which was the preeminent uh, hospitality digital marketing and technology company on planet Earth. So uh, with 150 employees uh, and so forth. So I ultimately I was the, the, the founder, president and CEO of uh, all of these internet startups until I would say two years ago. Yeah, two years ago where I devoted myself on teaching, consulting, and so forth. And I have been teaching hospitality technology, hospitality distribution, digital marketing, hospitality at the NYU Tisch Center of Hospitality for nearly 20 years now. And Roche, digital transformation in hospitality, I'm conducting several courses there for the last several years. So that's, wow. that's what I'm doing. So you do hospitality. <laughs> that's safe to say. Let's put it this way. Hospitality knows me and I know hospitality. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Definitely appreciate you taking the time to share that. That's quite the quite the spectrum of items to cover there. We can take this a lot of different directions in the conversation. I think the easiest way to start is in your time in the industry. So previously, of course, you were in the industry during the housing downturn back in uh, 07, uh, 08 there. And then, of course, into this downturn again in hospitality. <laughs> How have you noticed the differences between the two? How have you seen the recovery process? And you know, what's your take and vision of what's going to be happening from here on? On the on the demand side, the two major differences because during the you know the the previous financial crisis, simply could not afford to tra travel because a you know many many of them were unemployed. Second, many of them were unsure whether they will have a job tomorrow and so forth. So they were reluctant to travel simply because they couldn't afford it. Right now, people can afford it, but they are not allowed to travel because of the, all the lockdowns and the like. So that's on the demand side. This is a major difference. Uh, on the supply side, I would say that many hotels were shut down during the pandemic mm -hmm. while this didn't happen back in the day. I have been through from 9-11. First of all, back in the 1990s, all the economic, I would say, downturns in the in the beginning of 1990. And then the roaring 90s, which was one of the best times in hospitality. 9-11, of course, 2001, mm -hmm. and all of the different pandemics around the world taught us, taught us of a lot of things. And one of them is that, first of all, travel is here to stay. Travel demand yeah. is here to stay. And the main reason is that travel has become part of, I would say, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, part of the initial fundamental layers. Mm -hmm. And so in this sense, especially with the last 25 years, over 2.5 billion human beings joined the ranks of the middle class around the world. 2.5 wow. billion people. So we're talking about, and another 2 billion, by the way, will be elevated from poverty over the next 20 years 
due to technology, advancements in technology, advancements in, of course, communications and, and so forth. The whole point is that middle class means disposable income, means broader horizons, means need to explore new worlds, means travel. That's what middle class means. So in this sense, when we, when shortly before uh, the pandemic in 2019, one of the biggest issues in travel in general was over tourism. And then, of course, yep. during the pandemic, <laughs> we went from one end to the other, and we were talking about under tourism, actually, for months. <laughs> but over tourism is coming strong. Over the next five years, we will see over tourism again becoming a major, major, I would say, issue around the world. So in this sense, municipalities, even whole countries uh, need to get prepared from now until this time comes so that they can at least somehow monitor and structure the, the, the tourism demand mm-hmm. according to, you know, so that they can secure a sustainable state of, of the industry, if you will. Otherwise, many, many destinations will be overrun by the tourist hordes, if you will. Yeah, well, and it's exactly it. You actually posted something on LinkedIn here recently, had a chart there that uh, showed about that demand and how behind hospitality is and trying to keep up with the staffing levels. That's one huge thing is that every hotel nowadays is trying to scrape and find some sort of staff somewhere in order to accommodate because, you know, exactly what you just said. We have so many people now traveling from a leisure standpoint too. Yeah. A hotel, it's even if it was apples to apples or even less uh, travel from the leisure side, the, the challenge is a leisure traveler, the demand and the need is so much greater compared to that of a business traveler who is you know, seasoned, they know what they want, they know what they need, they know what to ask for, how the process works. You can see that even just in the airlines, when you go to fly or go to travel at all, a lot of it's families who are lost, confused, they don't know what's going on. Airlines are having you know similar staffing challenges um, oh, yeah. and trying to find staff. It's across our industry and hospitality. It but really- just imagine. Mm-hmm. Business travel is nowhere to be seen today. Basically, managed business travel is simply not happening. Mm-hmm. Corporate groups are not happening, at least you know, to the, to not the great same extent. extent. Mm-hmm. So if there's any business travel today, this is unmanaged business travel. This is small and uh, mid-sized uh, companies that where their livelihood simply depends on on very aggressive and I would say very proactive sales efforts. So in this sense, leisure dominates. And yet we have labor shortages. No business travel, when there there are no corporate troops, just uh, corporate groups, just imagine what will happen when managed business travel resumes, Mm -hmm. when corporate groups, and we're talking about 1 million corporate meetings a year that's what the typical number of corporate meetings in a normal year let's say back in 2019 in the united states alone yeah when when corporate groups come back who will serve it and this is where the the main issue we cannot today we cannot even service the leisure travelers and just imagine when the business travel comes back roaring back and actually uh, deloitte had a had a major uh, study recently where they predict by by Q4 of 2022, which is a year from now, by the way. Yeah. That's... Business travel will be at 85, at the 85% level compared to 2019. So wow. what they mean is that not 100% there, but it will be almost there. How, how are we going to service 
those business travelers? How are we going to service the corporate groups? That's my point, is that things have changed so dramatically. And those hoteliers who believe that things will go back to normal, I would say they're for a rude awakening. Because going back to normal will not happen, period. Yeah. So we will go to a, to a next normal. It's not even a new normal because there's, there's a new normal happening all the time. Yep. The next normal, and the next normal will be with few people. We have to do more. And how do we do that? The only way is by changing, first of all, business models, simplifying service delivery, and implementing technology. This is the yeah. main, the main, the main ways that we can handle, that we'll be able to handle. I would say. Yep. That's a great point. It's a great point. It's a matter of finding that cohesion uh, amongst all three of those sets. In the end, is hospitality is naturally given that you're a hotelier, you're you know face to face. You, we say we're in the industry because we enjoy being abused, and know that our guests are going to have some something to say to us. So there's a level of that, and I think the biggest challenge you find is trying to find staff, find that talent that knows that. For every guest that we may not like, there's quite a bit more that we uh, do and get to make those memorable moments with. It's balancing that technology and how do we bring technology? How have you seen technology now being adopted to hotels that have found success in doing, uh, I guess, doing less with more? It's do or die. That's, I believe yeah. this is the situation that our industry is in because right now, there are 1.73 million open positions in hospitality and leisure as a whole in, in the United States. That's the United States alone. And by the way, the same issue is in Europe. Yeah. The main issue is, uh, is in Asia Pacific. So one way is to, to offer a uh, very, I would say, above market salaries and benefits. Mm -hmm. The problem is that we're competing with all the other industries. Yeah. And again, business services, for example, nearly 2 million open positions. Retail, 1.3 million open positions. Manufacturing and uh, construction, 1 million open positions. And all of these industries, wow. by the way, are offering much better benefits in construction. The entry level is 40 bucks an hour. We will never achieve this in hospitality. No, entry, no, entry, entry level. So what they mean is that we cannot outbid the other industries. Simply, so we I, cannot outbid the other industries. The main and only way out is introducing technology. And I'll give you one example. If you introduce at your hotel, if you introduce mobile check-in and check-out, of course, mobile check-in with mobile keys, immediately you don't need half of your front desk staff. So you don't fire them. On the contrary, you simply... You cannot find them to hire them. So basically, you have to hire less people. And maybe yeah. you'll be lucky to, to do so. This is one of the examples how, on the other hand, if you introduce in the smart housekeeping on demand, mm -hmm. similar to what Hilton did for all of their properties in North America. So again, you need humans to do that. Yeah. If you introduce housekeeping on demand, where you select, I I'm staying two nights, I don't need housekeeping. I don't change my linen at home every every two nights. Yeah. I don't need my bed sheets and comforter to be tucked in. I don't do this at home. Yeah. So I don't need housekeeping, guys. I need only fresh towels. So if you if you introduce housekeeping on demand during the mobile check-in process, on one hand, not only the need for housekeepers will be 
decreased by a number of at least half or, or more than that, the need for housekeepers uh, that you need to find or hire. Yep. On the other hand, it means lower costs. It means better organization and so forth. So all of this has to be done during the, the checking process in advance. And then again, yep. you, you, you should be able to select various options. Yeah, it's actually been interesting. Cambria recently had a, rolled out a housekeeping on demand feature as well. They do it through text messaging. So they're, again, back to your point, utilizing technology. Mm -hmm. And their messaging is just built around the idea of, hey, um, we have this option available for you if you're interested. And simply as that. I mean, they don't get too yeah. far into in depth. I mean, if you need something, let us know. It, it's very open to saying, hey, you have it available. And it just reminds the guests that we're not, with everything going on, going to be servicing the room. So if they would like service, they just need to let us know. So I would be exactly to your point, because again, how many people want to pick up the phone, call the front desk, call housekeeping, say, hey, there's nobody there to answer it anyways, versus a text message. Uh, I can be texted, it's a sign. Or, or, or just imagine one of the steps during the mobile check-in. Yep, yep, exactly. You, know, you, yeah, receive, so you receive a text or you receive an email, similar to checking in for the airlines. Yep. And then you, you go through the process. Yes, I confirm I'm arriving on this date. Here's my flight. Here's when I am arriving. If some documentation based on local regulation is needed, then you, yep. you supply that. And then you choose. One of the steps is choose the, the housekeeping that, that, that you would require. Very simple. So it's one of the check-in steps via the mobile uh, check-in. And I would say that this is the best uh, way to deliver. Or, oh, for example, during the self-check-in in the lobby of the hotel, the, the, the self-checking kiosk as well, one of the steps to be the naturally once you select what type of housekeeping service you want, for example, yep. I don't want any housekeeping, then a housekeeper should not be knocking on your door at 6 a.m. Yeah, and waking exactly. you up. So what I mean is, oh, if you want just fresh towels, the fresh towels better be delivered. So in this sense, or oh, a housekeeping uh, every third day, for example, yep. then they better deliver. So in this sense, we're talking about organizational, I would say, structure and uh, processes that needs to be Im implemented it's not only technology but in in any case you you cannot charge for housekeeping services per day this is like uh, outrageous yeah that that seems a little little crazy there to think there there's an idea of monetizing a housekeeping that's been discussed off and on mcr right now they have i think it's twa and some of their properties anyways they launched a a la carte so you you know only get charged for what amenities you're using. So if you don't want to use the pool, you don't pay for the pool. You don't want to use the gym, you don't pay for the gym. So it's, it's a very interesting a thought process to that. Do you see other brands trying to adopt a monetizing of amenities? Listen, the, the, the old-fashioned, uh, I would say, the old-fashioned service delivery mm -hmm. where you deliver the same service to all your guests is, I would say, down the drain. We're the last industry that, that does this. Just imagine the airlines where, apart from your seat, there's nothing that you can sell. Yeah, you can sell some drinks, you can sell some, let's say, Wi-Fi, but it's such a limited number of things that you can sell on the airlines, yet 35% of revenues on average for the airlines come from ancillary services, from merchandising. 35%. How many hotels can boast that 35% of their revenues come from outside, let's say, room revenue or f &B. Yep. yep. No, that's a good point. A so what point. I mean is that the average for hospitality is somewhere around 5% of merchandising revenues. 
and we have so many things that, that we can sell. And I agree with you. If I don't use uh, swimming pools when I go to a hotel, why would I pay for this? Sure. It's an interesting concept to say we're going to drop rate down further. Um, and then you just pick and choose. It almost becomes, was it Spirit Airlines does that? And that their airline, you can pay for the flight. And then if you want a seat, you got to pay extra for that. That way you can pick and choose what you, what's important to you. Cause that's not important to everybody. Um, some people just need all of the low cost, there. all of the low cost airlines. They do that. And Ryanair yep. would, would, would sell yep. you a coupon to use the restaurant. So anyway, I'm joking, but that's at least it was in the works. It was like yeah. uh, discussed at uh, Ryanair <laughs> that, that you have to pay for using the, the bathroom during the flight. Anyway, what I mean is that we have, I would say, unlimited opportunities in hospitality. Yeah. And we're talking about core ancillary services that are room-related or F&B-related and non-core ancillary services. Mm -hmm. And we have to really become the masters of merchandising in our industry. And unfortunately, we are not. We did a study for a client back in 2019. There are 700 hotels in New York City in the New York City area, hmm. 700 hotels. Guess how many of them had Broadway packages, Broadway theater packages? Oh, I'd say maybe 8%, 2%, okay. No, <laughs> two of them. Oh. Two properties out wow. of 700. That's, that's low-hanging fruit right as there, if, that's easy. As if uh, Broadway doesn't exist in Manhattan, as if uh, hoteliers don't know that uh, there's, there's this thing called uh, Broadway theaters and people are coming from all over the world to see Broadway performance. Guess how many of them have a metropolitan, like the Met Opera the packages? Met, yeah. That's my, or museum packages. Yeah. That's my point. We have become so lazy in our industry, so complacent. And again, we have to learn how to sell on value versus rate alone. And actually, you know, trying to sell on rate alone, we are trying to compete with the distribution power of, of the OTAs yeah. and we are failing miserably. And that's why OTA dependency is through the roof because yeah. they know how to sell on rate alone. But we in hospitality, just imagine you have worked at, at hotels, I have worked at hotels. Mm -hmm. And we know our product better than anybody else. We yep. know our environment better than anybody else. We know our destination better than anybody else. And yet, we don't take advantage of that. The OTAs do not know your hotel product the way that you do. They do not know your neighborhood the way that you do. Yep. Or let's say your, your destination. I would yeah. say, other than this packages the for the ideas, what, what else would you say is a, a good idea to help market and highlight those options, aside from obviously the OTA? Listen, all of this just elementary type of selling, for example, City Pass. In a normal year, 2019, you go to Paris and you go to the Louvre Museum and you see a line that is five hours long. You wait five hours to get a ticket to the Louvre. In the same time, you go to the concierge of your hotel and he sells you, at a little premium, of course, sells you a city pass that includes ticket to the Louvre and you pass by this line that is five hours long and you go straight in and you wonder, are these people dumb or something yeah. at the wedding in line? And then again, of course, the hotel has to enable that and some smart hoteliers are enabling that. 
my whole point is that starting from such elementary things from city passes yeah uh, you don't have to to create very complex packages and so forth and again a package has to be simple to understand and simple to execute yeah so exactly. if you create some very elaborate package that that, that it takes 20 people at the property to you know to fulfill yeah. then forget it it's a it's a total failure and you will have pissed off uh, customers and then uh, you will fail in your undertaking if you will yeah, but uh, yeah, simple package which is simple to to execute so starting from city passes <clears throat> starting from museum tickets starting from even inviting here in manhattan i haven't seen because very few hotels have concierges. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen even a single hotel that invites a local two operator, like sightseeing operator, local activities operator, come to my hotel. He is a desk. Sell. Sell to my guests. Yeah. And of course, I want some commission out, out of it. Of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen even a single why. It's, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Most of our partners that we ever have in hospitality, they are partners that are just there. They're not actually in the building. We just yeah. give them a call and then they come do something. But it's a good point. There's no reason they couldn't be on property or on yeah. site. I mean, it's, and, I mean, then, and especially now when all of the common areas are so, I would say, empty, if you will. Yeah. Corporate groups and this and that and so forth, but not happening in at least at, at the scale that we're used to. You have so many. I would say spaces at the hotel that can be used creatively. Yeah. You know, yoga classes. This is part of the merchandising. It's part of the non-core ancillary services that any hotel can deliver. From yoga classes, exhibitions of local neighborhood artists, for example, or yeah. book readings. The sky is the limit here for anybody with with even a, I would say, a moderate dose of imagination. You can use, you can utilize uh, the common uh, areas and to make some additional bucks. Yeah. Simply because. Uh, you know, occupancies are still not where they, they should be. Yeah, absolutely. that's a great point that the ability to utilize those spaces and you know, like you said, find creative ways to do it. It's an easy way to drive ancillary revenue and a very low hanging idea that most people don't think of. And I feel like we're all, especially on the sales side, right now you're so focused on how do I find this, those leisure groups, those business groups that are traveling. How do I find those versus saying, how can I just fill this space with something simple yeah. or even on the operation side, of saying, hey, what's an extra amenity or idea I can help drive additional experiences at my property? And you can still have the you know class have a cost of five dollars or something yeah. uh, that you know you collect out of that or something you know that helps offset costs that or even then bring in a yoga person and say, hey, you know what, you can charge five ten dollars. That money goes straight to you by having this class in our space, and we'll take you know again to your point, maybe take a percentage of that. But it's an easy way to drive uh, revenue and something that's very simple easy way to do that it's easy in theory in reality yeah. <laughs> it's we have i would say a major reluctance and lack yeah. of creativity in our industry and this is sad this is simply sad i'll give you two examples quick back in 2019 we were visiting a client with 600 one of the big box uh, branded hotels what seventy-five thousand square feet of, uh, of meeting mm-hmm. space and we happened to be there over the weekend empty 75,000 square feet. I said, wow. guys, what's wrong with you? Where the, where the, you know, the, the banquets, where the bar mitzvahs, where the, mm-hmm. the whatever, you know, the, the weddings. Why 75,000 square feet empty? You know, because it's a corporate hotel and they said, yeah. ah, too much work. 
That was, that was the answer. Too much work. Wow. Another example, in the northern part of the country, yeah. typically January, February, even the first half of March is dead. Nobody's trapped. February in New York City is the worst of all, all of the months. And we pitched an idea to one of our clients. Why don't we create a scavenger hunt for kids over the weekend yeah. at the hotel? It's empty. Yeah. So hide certain things. There will be, of course, there will be catering for the moms and so forth, for the kids. You know, 20, 30, 40 kids, they pay X number of dollars. It's, you know, that there's an activity director that actually they're outside that you can hire. Yep. yep. And said, oh, no, that's too much, too much noise, too much to do. That, yeah, was, it, that, that was the answer. So what I mean is that we have become complacent. I don't even want to use a stronger word like lazy, mm-hmm. but that's what I'm inclined to use it. We could become lazy. You know, hospitality has uh, boomed, occupancies have boomed, ADRs have boomed over the last how many years uh, after yeah. the, the recession. So we have become very complacent and we have lost our mojo. We have lost our touch. We have lost our creativity, unfortunately, in our industry. And uh, I think that we are after a rude awakening because many of the best people in hospitality are no longer in hospitality. Yeah. So now we have hired a lot of people that with no experience who are repeating the same mistakes that we learned not to repeat, but simply yep. because they knew hires and so forth. Productivity is down in our industry. So not only we have less people to work with, but the productivity is down, the creativity is down. So I think that we are up for a rude awakening in our industry, unfortunately. Hopefully those listening right now will be able to take your advice and get ahead of the curve on that. It, uh, it's a very good point. The, the creativity and drive to do something new isn't there as much as it used to be. I feel like when I first started my career in hospitality, it was always, how can we do something new? And to your point, packages or what other areas of creativity can we find to make this a different experience? But of course, later on, just before the pandemic, I don't feel like there was quite that same desire as much. We definitely did some of it, but a lot of it was churned. There's a branded properties I worked for. So they were very much like, we have everything pretty well set and in place. So that's what we just went with. You're very, very accurate. I think you're, it's going to be interesting to see how the industry responds and rebounds from that. And to that point, we're actually at the end of our time today. Do you have any last uh, thoughts that you'd like to share? Again, the underlying thought here is that uh, the 1.73 million open positions in hospitality and leisure as a whole, these people are not coming. No. And I'll give you a reason why. Back in 2019, when there was no pandemic, when the average salary in hospitality increased by 6.5% versus the national average of 3.5%. So there were better increases, salary increases in hospitality. We had 1 million open positions in hospitality in 2019. Wow. Pre-pandemic. So what they mean is that this 1.73 million people are not coming. So the only option for hospitality leaders for hoteliers in general is to do a complete analysis of the full customer journey, which is nowadays is a digital customer journey, yeah. from you know the dreaming and planning phases to the booking phase to the actual experiencing phase when the guests are at the property, and then the retention phase when they leave the property, and after that, all of this 
communication with the customers, all of the engagements, and how we can implement technology solutions and applications in order to limit the need for humans, to limit the need for additional employees, which we cannot find anyway. And yeah. again, I gave you the example with, uh, with mobile check-in, but look at the hotel website. Yeah. Until two years ago, 50%, 5-0% of calls to the property happened because people were asking, where are you guys? Where exactly are you located? True. And then I've, somebody I've has to pick up the phone. Yeah. Somebody has to pick up the phone. <laughs> Who will pick up the phone? So you better explain it on your website, on your where exactly, how different ways of reaching the property and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so all of the, the information, all the content, it's called content marketing uh, yep. on the website, the social media and so forth. So you start from there to limit the need for people to call your property. Because when they call, some, somebody has to pick up the phone. Uh, chatbot on the hotel website, mm-hmm. Booking.com eliminates 85% of calls to Booking.com via chatbot. Yep. They solve yep. their customer service issues via a chatbot. Why not hotels? There's plenty of, of applications, uh, chatbot applications for independent hotels, for mid-sized, smaller hotel chains. Where are the chatbots? I don't see them. Yeah. You start from way before the guests arrive at the property, mm-hmm. through the mobile check-in, then other property, and you analyze every single touch point with the guest and see where you can introduce a technology application, a technology service, in order to limit the need for humans to do the job. Yep. One, one of the examples, housekeepers, uh, go and check whether the guest has left the room. Or, or really, that's why you have IoT devices in the room that tells automatically yeah. to the front desk that, you know, or to housekeeping directly, that, hey, you know, all these five, six, seven, ten rooms, the guests have left. It's technology. And again, as a final thought, it's, it's about time for us to understand that we are not a real estate industry. As ownership is trying to, to brainwash the industry that we are a real estate industry. Yes, we work with, within the confines of a, of a real estate property. Yep. But so is Amazon.com. Yeah. Amazon rents 160 million square feet. Just think about the square footage That's there. A lot, yeah. Of, of uh, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and the like. And nobody thinks that Amazon is a real estate player, correct? Yeah. That's so true. in this sense, I mean, even Starbucks is the same way. Starbucks doesn't Starbucks uh, really the own way. any of their stuff. They rent uh, Walmart is the same way. So what yep. it means is yep. that we are a service industry powered by technology. Technology-enabled service industry. And until we realize that, that we in hospitality, then we will have issues that permeate year after year after year. Yeah, yeah. It's all all about that getting that bottom dollar in the end. It seems like uh, operationally, anyways. But Max, I appreciate your time today, sir. Definitely the insights and sharing everything there, and definitely look forward to connecting with you again here soon. Take care, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Max. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening to the Hotel Moment podcast. For more information, visit GoMoment.com/podcast.